I think that's a big part of what makes Picard great. Because he, you, you think of Picard as this total by-the-book guy. But if you actually go and watch a lot of episodes of the show, yeah, he's violating orders left and right all the time. I think this is one of the qualities a lot of the captains bring, but Picard just really comes to mind first of like, this is what they told me to do. This is how they told me to do it. But really, now that I have this new information, our value statements say that we should do it this way. And if he's able to, he talks, hey, Admiral, this is what we should do, whatever. But if he can't, he just makes the call because that's what you got to do. And it's great That's because he understands this is the big picture. These are the rules, you know, our values that we operate under. And then he, he does that. Hi, I'm Jeff Aiken, host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast, leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. And you're listening to Trek Untold. Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Star Trek is nothing without its captains, each one uniquely skilled to handle anything the galaxy throws at them. The leading cast members in these intergalactic plays about morality and science, when you see the four pips, you know to stand and salute. There's a lot the average person can learn from observing these captains, whether it's how they handle high-stress situations like Cisco taking down the Dominion, or dealing with interpersonal relationships like Janeway, figuring out how to get a mixed crew of Starfleet and Maquis members working together to get Voyager home. Today, we're discussing the best in Starfleet with a person whose podcast specializes in this area. Jeff Aiken is the host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast, a show devoted to teaching leadership and management skills through Star Trek. He also co-hosts another podcast called Babylon 5 for the first time alongside Brent Allen. Over on the Starfleet Leadership Academy show, Jeff breaks down specific episodes from the standpoint of leadership, communication, and management in the hopes of making you, the listener, become stronger at taking a captain's role in your life or business. I've been a fan of Jeff's work for a while, and he's even appeared once on this podcast before, way back in an episode we did which was a panel episode all about Jean-Luc Picard's trauma after becoming assimilated by the Borg. But even then, I barely had time to get to know Jeff better, so I figured now was a good time to learn more about my compatriot in the podcasting world and have him tell you all about what makes his show so cool and different. There's a lot of Star Trek podcasts out there, as you already know, but a lot of them tend to fall into the same categories, but Jeff is really doing something very, very one of a kind. So zip up your finest Starfleet dress uniform because we're learning all about what Star Trek can teach you in the professional sector with Jeff Aiken. But before we get into this week's episode, I have to ask you, are you following Trek Untold on social media yet? You can find us over on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, all at Trek Untold, one word with no spaces. You can also become a Patreon supporter for this podcast over at patreon.com slash trekuntold. Here, you can directly contribute to keeping this show running at full power for as low as a few bucks a month. If you do this, you'll have early access to new episodes, the ability to ask future guests questions, check out exclusive merchandise, and other special benefits. 
We've also got an official merch store and an Amazon store filled with Star Trek goodies. So if you want to rock a Trek Untold t-shirt to the next con you're going to, or order something Star Trek related for yourself or someone else, please use the links in the show notes to help us help you. Shout out to our show sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, makers of fine 3D printed Star Trek inspired toys and accessories for collectors of all kinds. But you'll hear more about them later on. Now without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And now joining me on the other side of the galaxy in the distant land of Portland, Oregon, we have a fellow podcaster who has been on this very show before, and it's long overdue that we had him back. Please welcome once again, Jeff Aiken. Jeff, how's it going? It's great, Matthew. How are you? I'm I'm awesome. It's been a while since we've actually had some like real face-to-face time. I think the last time you and I had any kind of in-depth chat was actually here on this podcast again. That was for Strange New Pods Picard Week, where we talked about the traumas of the Borg uh, through the lens of Jean-Luc Picard. We also had Hawk from Strange New Pod with us there. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. It just feels like ages ago, doesn't it? It feels like so long ago. And it's weird to say that a discussion around trauma was a lot of fun. But right? but it was. I think like we had, we had great conversation. We all came in. I think one of the things I've learned in podcasting is you've got the people who like just kind of show up and wing it. And then the people who prepared and Hawk and you and I, we were like, we were ready for a really tough conversation. We had a really hard conversation and I, it was it was really good. But that was like, was that season two Picard? Like leading into the second season? That was yeah, that was season two. It's like 47 years ago. Pretty so, much several, yeah. several big star dates ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, for me too, it was just nice because normally in the show, it is an interview show. I don't really get to chat Trek things with people. So it was nice to actually be able to do that, even though the topic was uh, extremely weighty, uh, but that mildly. <laughs> I think that's one of the cool things though about Star Trek is it tackles those really weighty topics, but in a way that you can just have a conversation about it. It's the magic of science fiction, really. And almost no one does it better than Star Trek. I, I'd have to really think if anybody does it better than Star Trek, but like, here's this highly controversial or this really difficult pill to swallow, but we're going to wrap it in a fun story. And now you can accept it and you can actually have a conversation about it. It's non-threatening. And yeah, it's one of the many things to love about Trek. So today we are going to be deep diving into your show, Jeff, and we're going to talk all about that today, but I got to just make another real kind of an odd little note here. Uh, this is just a personal thing for me and you to share with um, But now one of the reasons I actually changed my theme song for my show was because you had the same song as mine. And like, so you, this is just a podcast thing out there. I'm going to throw this out there because again, this is a podcast to podcast conversation today. So many folks out there use that exact song and it kills me. because I'm like, oh God, I spent like 30 bucks on this thing. So anybody else is doing Star Trek podcast, just know I had it. Jeff's got it. Uh, I've, I think there's like five other podcasters right now who are using it. So whoever's got that theme song, you know, they're making a mint off of us. But uh, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely recommend you guys. Uh, if you got a Star Trek podcast on your own, hire someone to make you some custom music or something. <laughs> it is that, uh, gosh, I need to do it because it, it, it is the perfect, it's the perfect music. It is. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that's like insult you either, Jeff. I'm just saying it's like, my God, everybody's using it because it is a really damn good song. And it's like one yeah. of the only licensable songs out there that sounds like Star Trek that won't get you sued because it's still not quite Star Trek. Yeah, it's, but but you're so right. It's like if you're doing this and you're really in it, like let's let's make it and you know go and get your own because that that is the magic of a lot of podcasts is when it's your own stuff and it's yeah. original. Yeah. So for folks who have been wondering for the last like year or so, like why I changed my song, that's it's all your fault, Jeff. Everybody can blame Jeff for this. Yeah, you're that's welcome. right. Look at your shame. <laughs> right. Well, your new music's great. You know, it's one of those. And, and in fact, right now you you're pushing me in a, in a good way where I think sometimes. 
we get in something, we're feeling comfortable with it. It's good. But then someone pushes and you're like, I can do something better. And I think that's what you've done. Your music's awesome. I love, I love the new music. Oh, thank you. Now, you're a wonderful liar. Thank you. Sense. I appreciate that. Well, we are going to talk about leadership. So, I mean, line's a big part of it, right? That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely here. Now, uh, you know, Jeff, I think when we first spoke, I don't believe I asked you this question, but this is the question I typically ask all my guests on the show first. And that's, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? My earliest memory of Star Trek is one of my earliest memories, period. Um, my mom grew up watching it, and so it was just on. And it's funny because I, I hear so many origin stories of people that have some profound something, you know, oh, I, my dad and I this, or my, you know, we went and saw this movie, or someone argued with me and I went and read the book or whatever. For me, it was just always there. Um, you've heard about cradle Catholics, right? Just born. You're just a cradle. I'm a cradle Star Trek fan. Like it was never not a part of my life, but I think one of my key memories that I have core memories, like if we're going to get Pixar about their Disney, about the whole thing or whatever, but is that, uh, Star Trek two wrath of Khan, we rented it on Betamax cause that was a thing. And my mom let me stay up late to watch it. And I'll, I have such a keen memory of sitting on the floor with some popcorn and the scene where like they're doing the inspection of engineering and Kirk's like gets on the lift and they're like, what about the inspection? He's all later. Like, I just remember that so clearly. I think I was six years old, five, six years old when that came out. So but it was always a part of my life and, uh, which I'm thankful for, you know, I think it's just part of who I am. Wow, that's, that's really awesome. I didn't realize it went like that far back with you. That's pretty great. Yeah, day one, literal day one kind wow. of a thing. So. <laughs> so for folks who don't know, Jeff's podcast is the Starfleet Leadership Academy, which endeavors to teach leadership and management skills through Star Trek analogies. And this is really such a great niche that you've carved for yourself, Jeff. Uh, and we're going to talk all about it today. But uh, you know, I got to admit, I really don't know much about you outside of the world of Star Trek. And for, like I said, you know, really, this is, I think, now going to be the most we've talked besides that one episode of uh, this of this podcast a few years ago, whatever it was. But um, yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit more about kind of your background in business. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with that. Like, you know, how did you first work your way into the business? And then how did the Star Trek element of it come into play? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I had a, well, for a lot of people, a pretty standard like start to life. And then I took some divergent paths. I got through high school and I knew I didn't want to go to college. It wasn't going to be for me. I would make really bad life decisions coming out of high school into there. I had that level of self-awareness. So I did the next best thing and joined the military. <laughs> no bad life decisions that you can make there. But it's funny, I, uh, I, was, on, I was in the US Navy and uh, served on a submarine. And I chose that because that was the closest I could imagine to Star Trek. <laughs> and, and it really is like, you you've got a helmsman you've got a a planes they call it a helmsman and planesman you know one person who sets your left or right one person who sets your up or down there's a bridge there's like it's it's so similar in so many ways but um went through that period of my life i hated it i was not i mean it's great for a lot of people it was not great for me experientially but what i got out of it was awesome so i got out of the military and just started working just got jobs all around the place for about three years. I worked as a professional musician Well, to be clear as a professional drummer. So I hung out with professional musicians and I think that counts. Sticks. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a great time in my life. 
in retrospect at the time was terrible. I never ate. And uh, that whole starving artist thing is a very real, very real thing. Then just kind of got into work and I fell into a management position in the early 2000s with a movie theater company and very quickly realized that working with people and being in a leadership role was kind of my jam. Uh, and then since that time, I've held various management and leadership positions. For the last 15 years, I've been an executive leader in the public sector here in Oregon um, and do a lot of management consulting and leadership consulting training with uh, small, medium, and uh, one one large business right now. Just kind of helping to bring uh, a different approach to leading people because I, not being a traditionally educated person. I don't have letters after my name or anything like that. In fact, I never, I, I, I take that back. I did go to college for a certificate. I got a certificate in diversity, equity, and inclusion back in 2020, but that's the only college I ever did. And so when people talk about management and the model of this and the rules of that and whatever, I'm always just like, can you just be cool to people? Like, can we just try that out? And it's funny because I've been doing it for over years and like, just being cool to people actually works uh, surprisingly well. So what was that eureka moment for you where you said, you know what, I can talk about all these things that I've learned in this field that I've become an expert in, and I can do that on a Star Trek podcast. God, I remember this so clearly. So a little bit of backstory. I So just before you and I came on mic, I shared that I worked in professional wrestling almost as long as I've worked in management and leadership. That's a different podcast for another day. Uh, it'll be a lot of, I, I can't wait to, to have those conversations. Oh yeah. But I did a lot of talking as a stick man, what I used to call it, you know? So as a manager for a long time, I uh, think Paul Heyman, just not nearly as good. And, uh, and, then, and then play by play, color commentary, stuff like that. And so for a couple companies I worked for, I ended up falling into doing voice work for promos and things like that. And then for a couple, they tried launching podcasts and I was often asked to helm those to start them off. And so I was like, Ooh, I really like this podcast thing. Like, I think there's something to, I want to start a podcast, but on what? Right? So my first thought was I'll start one on leadership. I'll do that. And so I start looking through the little directory at all the podcasts. I'm like, dude, Tony Robbins has a podcast. Like they're good. They, they don't need, they don't need more out there. Oh, I know Star Trek. Let's do a start. Oh my God. Yep. Same thing. Like there's so many great podcasts. They don't, they don't need me. And I actually gave up on the idea for, for about a year. And then one day I'm sitting in a meeting at work. And if anybody here has a job where meetings are part of the work, you have been in this meeting where everybody's talking and you kind of look around and you've got your inner monologue and you're like, we already talked about this. I thought we already assigned these actions. Why are why is, why are we even talking? Why are we here? And I got really frustrated. And at the end of the meeting, I said to one of my buddies, I was like, dude, I want meetings. Like Captain Kirk has meetings, issue, discussion, decision, action, go. That's what I want. And this light bulb went like, like the world stopped, you know, like time froze, the prophets came and they told me, you know, this is, you are not linear. You must teach these things to people at all times. So I went home. And like any, most days I watched some Star Trek, but I was like, I'm going to specifically look for like management stuff in here. And oh my God, to an episode, I, I just, uh, before you and I came on, finished recording my 83rd or 84th episode, um, 
of the podcast. And I haven't had a, I've had a couple where I've been like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to pull out of this one. But as soon as I start taking notes on it, I'm like, there it is. There's the thing. It's, I don't think this has ever been the intention of any of the writers in Star Trek, but they have created just this perfect storytelling vehicle that shows the best and some of the worst in leadership. And you can teach from both of those things. So I kind of want to start here. And as we go along, we are going to distill the different elements of leadership that you discuss regularly on your podcast. But uh, let's just kind of start with an overall question and not necessarily re related directly to Trek, but if you want to tie it in, you can. But I'd like to know for you as someone who's in this field here, what are the qualities that make a good leader? Let's just kind of break it down. Like what are those initial things that make somebody stand out and be effective as a leader? So I, the two things I think are most important for a great leader that you're not going to hear from any other leadership expert out there is knowing when to shut your mouth and to get out of the way. <laughs> so many people think of themselves as a leader of like, I have to be the person to solve the problem and save the day. There's a concept out there of servant leadership that is great and not necessarily fully baked. There's a little more to it, but I think the qualities that really make a strong leader are somebody who can understand the big picture who can create a vision of the future, communicate that vision, and then support people through it. And the key in that is that you're not leading people through it, you're supporting people through it. One of the things that I do, so I, I'm in the public sector, and so we operate on a biennial basis. So we get a budget, it's two years at a time, and then we manage it quarterly. And every biennium, when we get our budget, we're required by law to forecast certain reductions, right? If we had to reduce your budget by two, six, 10%, what would that look like? What would the impacts be? And I always cut my own position first because if I don't show up to work, the work will still get done. In fact, when I show up to work as a manager, actually all I do is interrupt work. <laughs> I stop people from doing good things. So if you need to cut money, get rid of me. I mean, you won't have anybody to do your stupid reports anymore, but I mean, you'll figure out a way to get past it. So I think it's really that mindset of being able to understand that there's a, there's a destination, a journey to that destination, communicate that in a way that excites and enrolls people into being a part of that vision and then getting out of the way and not having an ego attached to the whole thing. Um, another thing I, I really look at when like I go to different meetings around things of, is it the manager coming and pitching this idea or did they actually bring an expert along and they like, they want my, Hey, so this is Matthew. He's an expert on X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to let him talk. And then I actually just, I truly actually shut up and let, you know, let you do your thing and just stay out of the way. I think it's, those are qualities that are, that are lacking in so many leaders out there. And if they exist, they're often actively suppressed by like corporate culture or um, executive leadership. But I'll tell you what, I've worked in a lot of different organizations and a lot of different companies and to, to a person when they lead that way, their teams are wildly successful. So to bring this back to pro wrestling, also to paraphrase uh, The Rock, know your role and shut your mouth. Totally, totally. Well, let's bring this back to Star Trek. That's what we're all here for today. And, you know, every Starfleet captain is different in the ways that they lead. So I'd love to hear from you if we can kind of talk about some of the major captains in old and new Trek here. And what's one distinct leadership quality that each one of them exemplifies uh, that we can kind of discuss and start to highlight how all these metaphors work in the sci-fi universe? 
One of the key things, and, and some people don't agree with this, because especially around Captain Kirk, like I just need to put this out here. Zeitgeist, popular culture, has created an image of Captain Kirk that is patently false. It is simply not true. Yes, he, as a cowboy diplomat, as Spock said in Unification, right? Yes, he's out doing the mission and being, you know, front of the spear for all this stuff. But he wasn't like this overtly womanizing, horrible, you know, pervert just trying to, like, that's not who he was. Kirk was an incredible manager. And I think that's a thing that we see across all of the captains, even the ones that aren't great um, as far as leaders go, is they're good managers who develop their teams. I remember uh, a horrible episode of the original series, uh, The Omega Glory, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. But there's this one tiny moment where, so Kirk's basically being held hostage by uh, a, a defected or disenfranchised Starfleet officer and um, down on the planet. And he has this moment where he radios up to the, to the Enterprise and Sulu and, and Uhura are there. And he basically just says, hey, run this drill for real. Like, dude, we're running this thing. And they just do it. And it's like, that's good management. Like they've practiced, they've trained, they've whatever. And we see that consistently um, throughout Star Trek. But I think there's a key difference. There's a lot of management and leadership are different things, right? Management um, manages things and leadership leads people. So it's things and it's people. And there are a consistent message throughout most of the captains is that they understand that, that it's the people around them that actually make them do the magic and make them really effective. Now there are um, two very specific exceptions to that. Uh, one is Captain Lorca who gets a bit of a write-off um, given, given what happens with him. But the other one is I'd say season one through three Archer um, who is a patently terrible, terrible leader and not even a very good manager, but high level. I think those are some of the things they all kind of share that, um, and he gets there, he gets there. You know, I think part of enterprise is Archer's journey, um, yeah. as, as he grows. And so I definitely bag on him in the, in the podcast a lot, but fully acknowledge that, you know, part of Enterprise is the story of Captain Archer and Jonathan Archer and how he grows to bring, you know, bring all these races together to start the Federation. I mean, again, Enterprise is just a whole other world because it really is like Bush era politics, post 9-11 politics and Star Trek, which is uh, a tough kind of thing to really look at and look back on, especially. Um, but what about, you know, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other captains here, too, because you mentioned, you know, these guys. But how about, you know, for Picard, for the Cisco, uh, for Janeway? Uh, and even right now for Pike, and, and let's go about Michael Burnham too, like for each one of them, if you had to just say like, you know, this is the one thing that each one of them is the best at as at being a manager, uh, what would that quality be? Picard, it's definitely big picture, right? He has that ability to look back, see the everything that's happening, all the impacts that are that are occurring. He's, I mean, I think he's best known as being like a diplomat. He's a diplomat though, both externally and internally. Um, the way that he kind of brings people together, manages conflict. He it's, it's, it, it works well for some people, not everyone. Picard's a different, a difficult leader to emulate because he maintains this professional separation between everyone that we explore through the Picard 
series a little bit, but um, but at when you're running a starship, it, it, especially the the size and the stature of the D, it worked really well for for him. Cisco, dude, Cisco's all about the people. Like he's in a lot of ways, he's not a very good manager. Um, he doesn't he doesn't care for the rules uh, that much. He's he's very much an he can often be an ends justify the means um, kind of a person, and that's that doesn't really line up with Starfleet in a lot of ways. I have to say, too, Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek, and it's difficult to talk about Cisco or DS9 without acknowledging many people to this day think it's completely contrary to the Roddenberry vision um, of what Star Trek is, is meant to be. What my theory presupposes is that it actually tests the Roddenberry vision and throughout the course of the series proves and validates it. So, That's a good yeah. on it. It's like, yeah, it, it totally, totally pushes back. It totally does things that aren't in line with it because the universe isn't perfect. It, it, it's just not. And so it takes that model, puts it in an imperfect galaxy and tests it. And so on that journey, Cisco Daff, I mean, in the pale moonlight, right? I mean, we talk for days about, you know, that and and other other decisions he made. But the thing about Benjamin Cisco is he cared about the people that he worked with so deeply and and i you know i think about meridian which wasn't a great episode but that was when dax wanted to stay you know wanted to stay on that planet that disappeared and like he didn't get selfish about it at all he's just like this is what you need how can i support you doing this this is awful i hate everything about it but i'm here for you how can i make that work janeway who season two of Strange New Worlds pending, Janeway is my favorite captain. Uh, God, she's great. She has so many of the qualities of a Picard that, uh, that you know, she is a diplomat. I mean, she was able to negotiate with the Borg. And yeah, it's controversial, right? How that came up, but she did it, you know? I mean, it happened. But what I think really separates her from the rest of the, the captains out there is she was the top of the food chain. There was no Starfleet command. There were no admirals. She didn't have to do things the Starfleet or the Federation way. You know, she could have gone the route of, you know, Equinox and done a, you know, got an entirely different direction. Yes, she made some, we'll say, morally ambiguous or gray decisions uh, as as most of the captains did but to me just the the fact that she was able to bring so much to the table without any support above her um is incredible and and i think also just acknowledging that in the late 90s to have that person being a woman as well i mean it's embarrassing to say it but like that was such a huge win for society just to have a woman like leading. And yes, there's a lot of inconsistencies in how she was written and some stuff that came up, but looking at it all on balance, uh, I think that's kind of how, how I take her, uh, Pike dude, Pike, Pike just might be the goat. <laughs> like he <laughs> might be the greatest when he cooks for the crew and he has cadet Uhura joining he has the cadet you know it's like it's taking cisco cooking a traditional meal for his executive his senior officers and it's saying yeah i don't care it's time for my senior officers it's for my team it's mm -hmm. for everybody 
one of the key things I try to teach as a leader is that language matters. The words we say matter. So I never call my teams staff or employees. They're just people, coworkers, people I work with. Uh, we, the terms like that, when you call someone staff, oh, they're staff. God, that's dehumanizing, you know, and it, it makes it really easy to do terrible things to them when you dehumanize them. Pike, I don't think, thinks of his team as staff or even crew. They're his team. Oh. I've only been able through the podcast to review the, the pilot episode, Strange New World, Strange New World, uh, so far because of the way I select my episodes. But when I was watching it on my first watch through, I was just like, I, I'm just going to play the episode because the whole thing's a master class. <laughs> like how to do this stuff. He's so good. Burnham's a tough one, though. I think discovery is tough when it comes to the captain. It discovery is, yeah. is, yeah, discovery is tough. I would say, especially with the way that Discovery is kind of formatted, where it really is more about uh, the emotional journey and, and less so the Starfleet managerial kind of yeah. areas. Look, in uh, the way, so the the, the way that I, I select my episodes in a certain way, and we, we can talk about that when we dive into the, to the podcast talk, but um, the way I'm doing Discovery is chronologically, you know, so because you, you, the way the story is, you just, you, you can't pull them out randomly and do yeah. things. And it's working well. I'm still in the first season for that. And with Lorca as kind of a like a focal point in the story, there's a lot that I can say, hey, here's what happened. This is what the opposite of that looks like. And that's what you should do is basically the opposite. But through the, the journey on there, you know, we saw Saru in command for a while. We saw Burnham and uh, not great captains. Um, but but, it, but it, it is to your point. Like I, I don't. What I don't want to do is say, oh, it's awful. Burnham's a terrible captain, whatever. No, because you're right. Discovery is about capturing that emotional journey and the impacts of lasting trauma, both to individuals and generational and how that impacts. Th and it's, and it's in many ways, it's really, really well done. But what it doesn't lend itself to is like, oh, here's, here's, I loved, I loved in the last season of Discovery, the president um, who was on there because she was just like, what do you? What are you doing? Like you're the captain. What do you th come on? <laughs> and, and over the 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 series, like Burnham had a little bit had a nice growth arc and started making some better decisions. But like I felt so seen in that print in that president. Yeah. Where I'm just like I know, right? Like why? Who would do that? It's it's like she's never been an officer before. But but I, I think I similar that, feelings as a fan too. Actually, just from watching, I was like, well, finally, someone's gonna force her to be more of the captainy kind of character. Yeah. It sort of, sort of got there a little bit, you know, but, but it's not the point of the show, you know? And I think it's, um, I, I've only done the first season of Picard for my show. I'm not sure that I'm going to do the second or third because the, you know, the, the, the second season was the second season. And then the third season was this big nostalgia dump that was great. And I loved it. And I literally cried like a child uh, in the scene, you know, that yes. came up and yeah, I mean, ah, but you know, it's not so much about like, let's, you know, look at the, the leadership stuff that's happening. Cause I mean, there's some moments, but I don't know. I think, I think especially in modern TV, I've got to like acknowledge, acknowledge the Star Trek for what the Star Trek is. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, 
TFP creates 3D printed Star Trek and sci-fi inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the US, with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Have you ever watched a YouTube video and said you wish you could do what they were doing? Whether it's the filming, the production, the editing. Maybe you listen to your favorite podcast and you wondered how they put that show together. How they got that great sound quality. What gear they use. How much does it cost to get started? Or maybe you checked out a video or read a book about one of your favorite entrepreneurs and it made you say, I want to live that life. I want to do what they do. Then check out my podcast, Toys and Tech of the Trade. I'm Rich Butler, and I've been making podcasts for almost two decades, speaking with experts across all fields to get to the bottom of the hows and whys of their achievements. Each week, I sit down with these amazing people who have carved their own path in life and share the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they rely on to create their content, the methods that they use to run their business, and the habits and trends that are part of their daily routine and their way of life. And all of that, of course, gets put together to make them successful. We pull back the curtain on the process to help you understand what these people do differently so that you can draw inspiration and get ideas and be inspired so that you can take action today. This podcast is inspiring, educational, it's enlightening, and most of all, it's a lot of fun. I want you to join me on this journey so that you can use the tools and advice shared in this podcast to level up your business or creative endeavors, giving you all the tips, tactics, and tools so that you can transform what you're doing from a side hustle into a full-time lifestyle where you can collect a paycheck for doing what you love. Check out Toys and Tech of the Trade wherever you listen to podcasts and check out the RageWorks Network at RageWorksNetwork.com for more info on this podcast and all of the many other great shows that we have on the RageWorks Podcast Network. That's Toys and Tech of the Trade with some assembly required. All right, so Jeff, that's kind of the good captains, the ones that we all know and love and familiar faces. But let's go into the opposite end of that here because I think a lot of people give flack to some captains or crew members uh, who are just kind of unpopular, but were actually effective leaders. And to me, like the first name that comes to mind is Jellico. I think everybody else talk about Jellico. Um, so maybe we can kind of go into that. And you can name a few other names as well of folks who kind of fall into this category who are panned often by the fans, but were actually really great managers. 
Jellico is the the low hanging fruit there for yeah. sure. I haven't done Chain of Command yet for the podcast. I can't wait. It is a really I dive can't wait for in. that one either. Here you need to this is basically the sneak preview for that one. Right, exactly. But like you know, on memory of that one, like there's a lot of flaws in Jellico's leadership. But what I I think is going to be great about it is that that's most leaders, right? Jellico led from a place of fear. In a, in a lot of ways, he, he, he was afraid. Uh, really what it is, it's almost an operationalized in wartime version of imposter syndrome that he had. And oh my God, who doesn't deal with that? Uh, sociopaths, <laughs> right? Like if you're not dealing with that at some level, you're fine because you're in your own world and good for you. But it's going to be great to look at that through that lens, how he, how he led that way, because really, you know, the big conflict that came up in chain of command between him and Riker, you know, around the three shift or the four shift and the, just the, the, it's like, dude, Riker, stop. You are wrong here. Like this guy is your captain. You get to make your case, but he's the captain and he's not wrong. I worked on a three rotation boat when I was in the Navy. I would have loved the four rotation. That would have been Awesome. So much more free time, you know, but, uh, Jellico's one, I think another one that's the opposite almost is data data gets held up often is like, well, he should have been the captain, you know? So there's the, the interim, the, the nemesis to Picard interim phase of like, what, what happened with the E and in the novels. And I think they confirmed in season three, Worf ended up commanding, uh, the, the E, but a lot of people were like, Oh, it's gotta be data. It's gotta be data. No. No, he is terrible. Look at redemption, right? Like, oh, he, that, epi- that, mm, that episode in the two-parter, the second one infuriated me because Data gets put in charge of the Sutherland and uh, he goes in and just like bull in a China shop, forces his way to this solution to the Romulans, you know, cloaking and helping the Klingons in their civil war. And then everyone's like, oh, oh, captain, my captain. And Picard's like, oh, you shouldn't follow orders all the time. And I'm like, dude was a straight up jerk and did his own job. What he did on that ship in that moment was the same thing he would have done on the Enterprise at Ops. Like he did zero leadership. He was not, it's not good. I feel like oh, that kind of goes into a different talking point too, though, about how, you know, there's one thing to be a leader who follows the playbook and follows the rules versus someone who is creative and can think outside the box, which, which is a term I think a lot of folks in business probably hate hearing. I hate hearing that term too, but, you know, but it is true. Someone who can think for themselves and think beyond what's right in front of them. I think that's a big part of what makes Picard great because he, you, you think of Picard as his total by the book guy. But if you actually go and watch a lot of episodes of the show, yeah, he's violating orders left and right all the time because he understands. Yeah, boom. It's But it's just there's the values under which an organization works under, and then there's the big vision and the mission. You know, and I, what I love about Star Trek is the mission is so clearly defined. It's whatever the episode is about that week, right? We're going to go to this planet and execute this mission or whatever. But Picard is able to... And, I think this is one of the qualities a lot of the captains bring, but Picard just really comes to mind first of like, this is what they told me to do. This is how they told me to do it. But really now that I have this new information, our values statements say that we should do it this way. And if he's able to, he talks, Hey, Admiral, this is what we should do, whatever. But if he can't, he just makes the call because that's what you got to do. And it's great. That's because he understands this is the big picture. These are the rules, you know, our values that we operate under. And then he, 
he does that, which is excellent. Contrast that with Cisco, who completely breaks the, the law. Contrast that with Janeway, who murdered Tuvix. And you get all... <laughs> <laughs> we went you there. get all I kinds of great. Yeah, she murdered him. But it's the, <laughs> but on that topic, there's not a. It, it's the trolley dilemma, right? You know. So if you leave the trolley alone, uh, what is it? Five people are going to get run over and die. But you can throw this switch, save them. But then only one person dies. So either way, someone dies. But one is a conscious choice that you made. But are they both conscious choices that you made? Hmm, I don't know. What's the right answer? Kill Tuvix. Uh, it's yeah. killing Tuvix. That's Although, probably, that's always my answer. I should have kept Tuvix on board because Neelix came back. So, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of... Be like, hey, is there a way we can get Tuvix and Tuvok? Can we get that? <laughs> this has been Hot Takes with Jeff Aiken. Right? <laughs> I don't think they're that hot. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I feel like this kind of leads into uh, toxic environments as well in the workplace. And we do see that in Star Trek. Uh, you know, we see it, I feel like, a lot more often with uh, other alien species, other alien beings who have problems. Um, but even within the Starfleet itself, you know, we've seen a lot of bridges that are not very happy environments. So, uh, you know, with your expertise, maybe you can kind of run down a few that stick out in your mind and what you would do to remedy those toxic environments and make them suitable uh, to, into an M-class planet of good working. Right. One of, one of, my, one of my favorite examples of a toxic environment is is not one that you would necessarily think of and it's the bridge of the voyager really that's that's yeah. that's a spicy take it is it is and so but what it comes down to is um oh gosh if i think long enough i'll remember the episode that i talked about this in um unforgettable i think was the episode that i, I talked about this maybe not maybe not. anyway it was one of them you can look it up but um uh tom paris and harry kim are on the bridge and they're Hey, seven look good. There's like just making all these just horrible jokes about seven statements about seven and teasing Harry Kim about, you know, enjoying the number seven as it were. And uh, Chakotay and Jayway come over and they join in. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, Harry, you were looking at this. And it's just like this level of, I'll call it like nineties workplace toxicity that now we know through our lenses today, we're just like, oh, that is not okay to do um wow it was just so commonplace uh you know in there and i think the, the answer to everything how do you address these toxic environments i mean i'll talk about some other ones but the answer to that question is very simple um people first right we we, we, we prioritize our people we respect our people we understand all the people here are deserving of and have dignity um which is so simple to say yet here we are in the early 21st century where we are. So I just lay that out there and leave it. But you know, some of the toxic environments I think of are like, uh, like Quark's bar, uh, you know, oh my gosh, could you imagine working there? I, I do not want to, that would be horrible. You would never sleep and you, you'd, yeah. you'd be paid nothing for that. Right. Oh, it's awful. And, but, but that's, you know, it, it's, it's the motivation. He doesn't care about the people. He cares about, you know, the latinum and all that kind of stuff. That's a terrible one. Most Klingon vessels, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> right. There was the, um, the episode where the exchange program where Riker, you know, went onto the bird of prey and like, he was prepared for this stuff and, but it was still, it was just awful. And then we got it in, um, in lower decks. Was it the wage does episode or whatever, where they, you know, they had the Vulcan ship and the Klingon ship and whatever. And it's just like, is dude, it's the mirror universe too, I guess. But just like, is dude going to kill me? Like, is this, 
how things work. Now, you're not going to fix that necessarily with just applying a person first culture on top. That's deep seated cultural stuff on there. But at a high level, um, that's what it's about is, is treating people. Equinox comes up as well. That turned into a very toxic environment. What I find fascinating about that story is it wasn't always toxic. You know, they had tried doing things, um, you know, well and, and treating, treating each other and all the species well. And then they got desperate and leadership made choices and there were real divisions amongst the, the, the people working there. And like when they showed the scenes of them on stuff like that, Dude, I wouldn't want to be there. That seemed like a terrible bridge to be on. But they were more interested in, you know, shortcutting to get home than they were in taking care of their their people on the ship. So you know the world of business and management, as you've proved already on this podcast, and you do every episode of your own show. Um, but, you know, how did you transition these skills ultimately into being a podcaster? And we kind of talked a little bit about your, your background in pro wrestling, which I think is an amazing way to kind of transfer some skills into one thing into another here. But, uh, you know, what did you do to basically take your abilities and merge them into what you're doing now as a podcaster and make the show the success that it is? That's such a good question. I have to think about it for a second, because I think, you know, you, you get into the, the skills that you have and then you just do the things and you're like, oh, yeah, I just did the thing. And there it is. But if I think back to before I was podcasting about leadership, one thing I was doing pretty frequently was speaking about it. Some organization or conference or whatever would, would hire me. And that was all word of mouth. I didn't have a brand or anything to back me up at that point. I knew people, you know, and so like I might do some consulting or I might know someone and then, oh, there's a conference and you can come speak on it. The at first I went through like this progression where at first I would just do these talks that are pretty traditional that you've seen at any conference you've gone to. This is why it's important to value people. Here's the way to have a challenging one-on-one -on -one conversation that brings value, you know, whatever that kind of stuff. It's all good. Then I realized I need something just to kind of separate me from everybody else. I am not John Maxwell. And so I should stop trying to be John Maxwell. He's great. Awesome, cool stuff. If you want to read a book about 563,000 rules of whatever, cool. Me, I you get more than two or three and my brain can't deal with it anymore. But he's awesome. I'm going to stop trying to be him. So the first thing I did was I actually put a talk together that got some buzz. And I ended up actually having, I got to not tour the country, but travel around the country a little bit giving this one. But in professional wrestling, the construction of a wrestling match is the perfect example for good leadership. And so I used the absolutely iconic match of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant in the Pontiac Silverdome at WrestleMania three, And I broke that horrible match down because objectively that is a bad, bad wrestling match, but it is, it is part of the world culture. Did you know that after WrestleMania three, some researcher did a, did a, ex a research experiment around the world where they took like well-known figures and put pictures up all around the world and asked who, which one they recognized. And the top two people that were recognized were Jesus Christ and Hulk Hogan. I feel like this and is an internet meme now where it's like, show me the difference. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, this is the same picture, right? <laughs> but like they'd lay these out and they'd say, you know, uh, who do you recognize in these? And people, oh, that's Hulk Hogan. 
Like Hulk Hogan was the most recognizable face wow. on the, according to this, you know, probably very small sample size, but of multiple countries, but it was the power of this match. And so I construct, I put a talk together that broke that match down and then related it to what that looks like in leadership and really high level. If you love pro wrestling, that's awesome. If you are, if you are a person that understands it is a legitimate sporting contest between two competitors competing in a, in a, in a fair thing, why don't you skip ahead about 90 seconds here. For those of you that are still here, it's not fake. Uh, I have an orthopedic surgeon that will tell you it is not fake, but it is definitely a pre-planned and it's definitely a story. I like to call, say that pro wrestling is theater in the round where we tell the classic story of good versus evil through the universally acceptable language of violence. That's pro wrestling, right? So, uh, but the, the key to a successful match is that I don't go into that match to get my stuff in. I don't go into that match to make myself look good. I give you 100%. It is 100% my job to protect you and to make sure you look good. Mm. And that works because it is also your job to 100% protect me and make me look good. And when both people have that understanding, you get these classic matches that, that transcend the ages. But in doing that and constructing those talks, when I sat down to start doing this for Star Trek, it kind of came naturally for me. It's just, this is, this is what I do. I look at, and I found too, working with new managers and, and doing training and consulting for people, the traditional, just like, here's the situation, here's the solution, and here's the benefit, you know, the problem, solution, benefit model. Um, it works, but it doesn't stick. What sticks is storytelling. You know, there's a great saying that, uh, that we would use in, in sales organizations that facts tell, stories sell. So have your facts, but tell a story around them. And so I started just in practice using Star Trek, uh, using Harry Potter, using Star Wars, just different like pop culture, sci-fi things that I knew using that as examples when I would train people. And like, it became a joke, you know, they're just like, oh, we got to, we got to Admiral Ackbar this one, you know, or whatever. And, you know, because Admiral Ackbar, by the way, is a great example of the PDCA model, plan, do, check, act, it's a whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, so when I sat down to do it for Star Trek, I'm like, one, I know how to construct this in a way to talk about it. And two, like I kind of have some practice doing it. And so uh, it, it's definitely refined. Like I, I, um, I don't have enough self-confidence to go listen to my first episode um, again. <laughs> but uh, but if, I, if I were to do that, it is, I, I know, well, one, I know the format is very different than what I do today because I've intentionally evolved the format, but my approach I'm sure has changed dramatically in that time, just as I've learned the podcast medium more because podcasting is not getting on stage and, right. and talking. It's so much more intimate. And, uh, and so being able to just improve and delivering that message, you know, specifically to you and in a, in a, in a meaningful way where I think, uh, it's kind of a little, little, uh, a little blase ish, but somebody was like, podcasting is so intimate because you're literally inserted inside the person listening to you. you know, it's a bit more invasive, your choice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that more invasive. There you go. But 
you know, it's so intimate, the connection that we have with the people that listen to what we create that uh, when I started off, I really started off as if I were like, hey, I'm making some jokes and I'm telling a story and I'm speaking to you as opposed to, hey, no, I'm actually like we're sitting down and I'm talking to you about this stuff. But I think the intimacy is a very good thing uh, to mention here. And that kind of leads into one of the things I admire about you, Jeff, as a podcaster is and now that I know some of your, your pro wrestling background, it makes more sense. But I really like the way that you speak and tell stories in the way that you speak. Yeah, because that's the art of part. Uh, that's the art of podcasting. You know, and I, I can speak for myself here because I stutter. I stumble through things a lot. I slur my words because I got a whole face thing going on. Um, but, you know, for folks who want to be effective podcasters, you do need to be able to speak clearly, speak succinctly. And also not just read words off a piece of paper, but you got to tell a story with the way you say them. And you do such a great job of that in your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, it, it is a lot of training, right? You know, between doing the play-by-play, -play, oh my gosh, it's, I was going back. Some of the stuff I did in the past is on YouTube and I was watching some of it. And I was so embarrassed. I'm just like, oh my God, people paid me money to do this. I should, I should call them and apologize. Like, oh my gosh. But, but it was a training ground really for, for getting into this medium and understanding, you know, one of the things that I learned also was we did live TV for a while with one of the organizations I worked with. So you have someone in your headphones talking to you while you are talking and telling the story. And so learning how to talk, but listen at the same time. And then sometimes I'd be like, okay, we got 30 seconds to commercial. You talk, talk, talk 15 seconds. 10, five in the can. And you have to like, when you watch TV and it's just like, and we'll be back with this match right after that. Boom, into the commercials. Like that is a highly orchestrated moment. But um, to have a lot of practice and training, one thing that I don't often admit or share, it's not about admitting, I don't often share, but uh, but I but I, I will, is I I completely script my episodes. Completely. I write them out word for word. And what you'll find is like, sometimes, sometimes you'll hear me listen. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, that's, mm, that's the thing where so and so I write that in to the, the thing. Winston Churchill uh, did the same thing. He would script everything he wrote and he would, he would write in the ums and the uhs to make it sound more natural. Um, but I do that because what I know about myself is if I give myself bullets, which I did for the first handful of episodes, I will just go. And if you're not on my train of thought, good luck, right? Good luck following along. And so I started writing them out more just to keep me on track. What it has done is it's helped provide real um, continuity in what I do. You know, so there's a rule in broadcasting that first you tell them what you're going to say, then you say what you're going to say, and then you tell them what you just said. And if you listen to radio or the news, you will find that pattern in every, coming up after the break. We're going to do this. Hey, we did this. And hey, here's this thing that we just did. You know, that's the whole model. And so I've built that into the, the podcast, hopefully in a mostly seamless way where it just feels natural. It just pulls you through the whole thing. But what I want to say to existing podcasters or prospective podcasters, if you are not a trained actor or voice actor, and you try to just read off of a page, you will fail. Um, it, it, is a, it, is a, it is a skill. It is a skill I continue to work on all the time. I never stop practicing. Um, if, you, if anyone chooses to help support my show through my Patreon, which I appreciate very much, I actually post a video of my raw recording. So when I sit down to record, I plop my phone up, I hit record, and uh, 
I stutter. I stumble. I say the, the wrong thing. Um, I get spittle in my mouth. For me, a lot of times I get the uh, throat, you know, whatever going on. But yeah, or, or I do a read and I'm just like, oh yeah, that sound totally sounded like I read that. Like I need to go and, and do it again. And then I go back, I clean it all up. I, do, I have a really heavy um, audio treatment and editing that I do that, that, that sounds harder than it is. It's actually very simple um, to do, but sound and audio quality is super important to me. So I, yeah, I pay a lot of attention to making sure I've built a cohesive story, speaking it clearly, excitedly in an engaging way. Um, and then that it sounds, it's pleasing, pleasing to the ear. It's comfortable to hear. Hey everybody, we'll get right back to the interview in one second, but I wanted to remind you all to check out Trek Untold over at Patreon. Patreon is the best way to directly support creators of things you like through a monthly subscription of an amount that you can choose. Trek Untold has a few different tiers already with different benefits, ranging from early access to episodes, the ability to ask a future guest questions, exclusive merchandise, and other bonuses that I'd love to offer, but first I need to grow that Patreon community to do that. Trek Untold has been around since mid-2020 and has grown a ton since then, thanks to listeners and viewers like you. Through a platform like Patreon, you can help me keep improving the quality of each episode and keep bringing you new interviews with folks that make the Star Trek universe what it is. If this community can grow more over on Patreon, I can offer new perks like watch parties, exclusive Trek Untold episodes, being able to directly interact with guests, and other things, but in order to do that, I need to know my audience wants these things. The best way to tell me what you want is by supporting us on Patreon, so please, Check us out at patreon.com slash trekuntold today and become a bigger part of the Trek Untold family. And now, back to the interview. I mean, you know, essentially your genre is kind of like that audio essay or for YouTubers, it'd be like a video essay kind of thing. Um, but this, this does kind of talk to a lot of different types of podcasts and content out there, whether it's on YouTube or in the audio formats or whatever. It very much is trying to get all this like information out there and sound authoritative, but also not sound too authoritative. And you got to sound like you're also an authentic human being. So there's always the insertion of like the jokes and the supposed bloopers that usually have time are not actual bloopers. Yep. So uh, I think that's kind of an important thing, though, for anybody that's listening who like wants to pursue podcasting as something. There is a fine balance of performance in what you're doing that you got to really work on. And it seems like the only way to get good at it is just to practice more and just do it more yep. and just suck it up and fail a bunch of times. Just keep moving forward and get better each episode. Yeah, I always feel like, uh, gosh, who said this? Somebody said this. I mean, I feel like a jerk that I don't remember who it was. But um, they just said, um, you, you, you will never be perfect. But as long as every time you're a little bit better, that you're doing great. You know, and it's just tiny little things that you can do along the way to improve yourself. I think to a person, to a show, if you listen to the first episode and compare it to their most recent, if they are the same then they're either like some drama, you know, that's, you know, telling a story throughout and was designed to be that way, or it's failed as a show. Because I think, I think that just, I mean, we're in the Star Trek world, right? And so we talk about story arcs and character growth and development. Our shows should do the exact same thing. You know, we discussed a hodgepodge of things today in regards to your podcast, Jeff, but your show is usually a lot more focused than this one is, uh, you know, so I'd love, you know, for anybody who's listening right now, who's, never really been exposed to your show before until this very moment. And now they want to give your show a try because you're so awesome at being an ambassador to your show here. What's an episode that you would recommend they should listen to first to get more of an idea of what you do and, and more so one that you're really proud of? You know, one, and I actually just uh, received an award uh, for this one. I received an award from W3 uh, for Lower Decks Envoys. Um, 
it's a relatively recent one, a couple months old. But um, if you're not familiar, just at a high level, there's this running joke that Rutherford wants to move to a new division and have a new job. And like everyone is super supportive of him growing and developing as a Starfleet officer. And they play it off like a joke because in today's world, that is a joke. Like that doesn't happen. But it's such a great bed for what uh, what leadership is. And it's a fun episode um, to do. One thing I'll say too, like on that, generally my episodes are around 30, 30 like let's say like 28 to about 38 minutes long, right in that time frame. Try to keep it relatively short because it's just me. I'm not having guests on. I'm keenly aware that you can only listen to a one person's voice uh, for so long without losing interest. But um, I was really, I was really nervous going into lower decks that you know these episodes are half as long as the other ones. Am I going to have enough content? And actually, the lower decks episodes I've done are almost longer because um, they are so packed with amazing, amazing things. But yeah, I, I would, I would strongly recommend checking out Envoys. It's a uh, just a, it's, it's a fun episode. I get to have a good time talking about it. And some of the lessons I pull out are applicable to absolutely anyone, even if you're not in a leadership or a management role. I definitely know what you mean about being a solo act here. But, you know, if I can throw another compliment your way, I definitely would consider you up there as like one of the Joey Styles of the Star Trek podcasting out there. So, oh, my God. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. He got it. <laughs> and on the topic of pro wrestling, they're still in this world somehow. Let's kind of combine these things together here. So you're putting together a team of five coworkers who in this case are all members of Starfleet. And you got to tackle a job that requires working across different departments to deliver some sort of project. I don't really care what it is, but some sort of project in a very short, tight time frame. So no captains allowed, but who is on your five person team from Starfleet to join you in this endeavor? Wow. Wow. Hey, Jeff, you know, let's throw you right on the spot. Yeah, why not? Sure. Why not? Well, data's got to be there. Right. And I think because Data, in my opinion, is a wildly underplayed character in all of Star Trek. The guy's a super, he's a walking supercomputer. Like, that's, that's interesting, though, because you went back a few moments earlier and were saying how Data might not have been necessarily the best like leader, but you're saying as a crewman, as a member of the team, he's a, a good element. Absolutely. Matthew, that's such a great point. If I can tangent for just a quick second. Tangent, tangent. Our corporate society is so broken for a lot of things so many of them but one of the key problems is that we make widgets right whatever it is we're making widgets and you join the company to make widgets and eventually you become the best widget maker so then the company makes you the boss of the widget makers but it's not the boss's job to make widgets it's the boss's job to support the people making the widgets and so we have an entire corporate structure built on moving skilled experts into leadership roles without preparing them to be leaders. What we, what I talked about with data earlier is the result of that. You, an abusive manager that destroys the morale of the people that they're working with, but still swoops in and solves the problem on their own. Hmm. That doesn't mean I don't want data on my team. He's just not going to lead it. Right. Like he's so this is about play. kind of people thing now. Also knowing who your people are and knowing what they're best at and using those skills to the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think like you have to have data on there just, just for, for who and for what he is. I want Scotty uh, from the original series. I think, you know, when we talk about engineers, you know, who, who the, the best engineer is, I mean, you can talk a lot about it, but I don't know anyone in that group that has just the, what was it, the outside the box approaches to things. Uh, well, he's a miracle worker. He, tr he truly is. He truly is. 
I think I want Dax on there. Um, Dax has so much experience for one, but also Dax is a really good team player. Like Dax brings people together. You know, when you think about her, um, both as Jadzia and Ezri, and even even Curzon, like that's what you hear a lot. It was like, yeah, we got these people together and we went and did this impossible thing. So that would be really good. I on, on that point of Dax too, I'd like to bring up also the fact that you're talking about someone who's now very experienced. But the interesting thing, since we are really, you know, it is Jadzia most likely who I, I would assume would be on your team in this case, yeah. but it is still, you know, Curzon and all the other parts of the Dax symbiont with with her. So, you know, in this case, it's experience, but you're also getting youth here. That's an interesting balancing act to have here, and especially within the Starfleet lens. It really is. And it's a thing we experience in the corporate world a lot too, where you get some young manager. I have this, I, I, I'm dealing with this right now where I hired this manager who just turned 30. Um, and, and the people that she's leading are, gosh, I mean, we've got people older than me, people in their 50s, couple, like just much more work experience and life experience than her. And it, what a challenge that is to be to be the young buck on the team you know and be taken seriously let alone be acknowledged as a leader it takes a special skill set in a lot of ways with jadzia she gets to cheat she's got seven eight lifetimes you know of experience to bring that skill to the table but it's a real thing that people deal with every single day but i think what's important too we talk about generational differences in the workplace and I mean, I, I'd be lying if I told you that like, oh, they're all, they're all great and it's awesome. And they're, you know, everyone should have, oh my gosh, there are some people from some generation, like, I just don't have the patience, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's exhausting, you know, to, to listen and work with you. But that's the work, right? Is me still showing up, still supporting you. Not, I'm, I'm not saying I don't like them. It's just that this takes a different, I have to show up in a different way. In fact, my, uh, my executive assistant is retiring at the end of this month. And then I have this manager who is 30. And sometimes I have back-to-back one-on-one conversations with them. And I need like 20 minutes afterwards just to be like, <laughs> the ping pong ball back and forth. And it, they're both incredible and amazing, but I have to show up in a very different way for them. And Jadzia could bring that, right? Both through her experience and her youth. Um, to to that situation so we got data we got scotty we got dax and this team a lot of uh, science engineering people who else we got yeah we got that we're gonna have Riker. we're gonna have Riker. uh dude can do anything you know <laughs> i mean he, he can i mean he stepped up he's done so many great things and shown up in so many awesome awesome ways but i think that um i think the last person i would bring onto the team Trying to, I'm trying to decide between okay. a handful right now. I'll buy you some time. I'll ask you a follow up to Riker, and you could okay. uh, ruminate in the back of your head about yeah. that. I think Riker's a really good choice, and this is also another element of I think a good team is that you want to kind of have somebody that you know when you're working with people, you want to be able to work with folks you actually like to a degree, and that you can actually work with, and not just somebody who's there to just work. So someone who's kind of like bringing uh, a little bit of levity, not necessarily even levity, but just someone that is you know who's there, who's present, and who kind of lightens up the group, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tuvok, I think is my fifth for an interesting reason. I got a bunch of really skilled people here doing skilled things. I don't know what the project is, but I know this is a Starfleet thing. And so there, there's a likelihood that we're going to need some protection. And when I think about tactical officers that we have across the franchise, um, God, Tuvok's the man, you know, I mean, he is, he is great at, at his job as compared to Worf. 
I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, worth the uh, the ultimate Klingon jobber on the bridge of the Enterprise. Totally, totally. Oh my god! And I gosh. love Worf, but my, I mean, Worf's kind of there for that one purpose, and that's just to kind of job out, show how strong the other guys are that are attacking. Yep. He's our our jobber to the stars, our JTTS. Big he's time. Our, he's our Barry Horowitz. Uh, <laughs> Who is great, by the way. Yes, I, yes, he is. I have met him. He's a great, great person. But yeah, Tuvok's really cool because I think he also brings a lot of wisdom, and but a lot of a lot of skill um, to to a project. And I think that having having the dynamics come into play and having someone like Data on the team and a Tuvok, they boom, 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 send in information back and forth. No need for niceties or anything. They're going to work well. But to make help them work well with each other, that's where like the Dax and the Rikers come into play is to help bring out the best in these really disparate uh, personalities and approaches to getting work done. Yeah, I don't know like how deep in the comic stuff you are, Jeff, but I'm like right now reading the IDW comics and the current ongoing Star Trek series. And this crew here, this is like such a mishmash of folks. I'm going to try to remember everybody who's in it. But Cisco is the captain because he's back. So he got summoned back by the Prophets. Um, you've got Dr. Crusher. We've got Data as his second in command. Okay. We got Scotty running engineering. Uh, Tom Paris on navigation. And uh, I'm trying to remember who else. Worf was briefly with him. But then Worf actually jumps to go into the Defiant miniseries where he's now in charge of the Defiant along with uh, Torres and Ro Laren and Lore, oddly enough, and Spock also. Wow. So talk about some weird teams. So yours actually sounds pretty good. Yours sounds like some great logical choices there. I, I, I've read some of the comics. Uh, I read the Discovery ones. Uh, there's one thing I really enjoyed with Discovery is how they kind of wrapped in the novels and the comics into the actual, they weren't like, oh, here's another story. It was like, no, here's the background to stuff because we're not going to waste valuable screen time fleshing out our characters. So instead, we'll write cool comics about it. But yeah, I need to get into the other ones because that sounds fascinating. They are a lot of fun to read. Now, you know, for the most part of this episode of Trek Untold here, we've been looking at the again leadership management qualities and a little bit of good, a little bit of bad here. But for now, kind of focusing on something a little bit, uh, I think a lot of people can relate to uh, is hurdles in being a good leader and hurdles in being a good manager. And so, again, of course, using Star Trek as our POV here, what do you think is the biggest hurdle that you see most commonly from clients you work with or from people who you know? Or in this world of business management, what's like the biggest hurdle that you see and how can they overcome that? Two things come to mind. One is ego. And I, 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 I'm really stuck on data in redemption right now. One, I just had that episode come out a couple of weeks ago. So it's very top of mind for me, but like he was so, he was so consumed with being a good captain that he ended up being a terrible captain. He yeah. led from his ego essentially. And that happens a lot, a lot with people out in the world. They, um, the thing I deal with a lot, we talked a little bit about imposter syndrome earlier, but I think the other thing is just, just feeling valuable. It's really easy. Like, let me own who and what I am. It's really easy for me as a middle-aged white cisgendered heterosexual guy to show up and say, I'm not important. Cut me from the job. You know, like ah, let other people do it. I exist to serve you. I should be in the background. It's very easy for me to say. That's not easy for a lot of other people to say. And specifically, when I hire women of color or other 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 underrepresented communities of people, they've been trained their whole life. You know, for, not just their whole life, but they've been trained generationally that if they say that or show up that way, it'll happen. Right? Like, yeah, we will cut you. We'll let you go. We won't even think twice about it. So 
acknowledging that it's the mindset we have to really get into is we're not here to prove ourselves. We're here to improve the team. And so that internally, that ego, um, wow, spend a lot of time working people through that. The other thing that comes to mind though is, gosh, I mean, we don't call them badmirals for no reason, right? (laughs) And it's corporate culture. You know, I think what I do often see is in different companies and in my personal experience is you might have a manager who's running their part of the operation in just a magical way. Like you just, you see engaged people. I remember um, my boss years and years ago, I was running an operation and we're offsite. We're in a different location than our headquarters. And my boss came in and visited and I wasn't there. I was actually at our headquarters building for meetings because, you know, meetings is apparently how we get work done. But he popped in, reception helped him out, took him onto our production floor. And he told me, he said, uh, yeah, I went on the floor and people were standing around. They were talking, they were laughing. All the, and I'm just in my head, I'm like, oh no. And he, and he said, he goes, but it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen because all the work was getting done and there was this buzz and this excitement of people who wanted to be there and cared about the work they were doing. And I was just like, mission accomplished, right? Like I, the culture is happening, this is great. Well, we were next door to another operation that uh, was also in his span of control. So he went over and visited there and he's like, yeah. So I walked into their office and it took me almost five minutes to tell if anyone was even there or not, because it was just quiet and subdued and people doing things. And so in my little pocket of this organization, I was able to create this really awesome environment, but the entire organization was there to squash me and, and push, push back on anything I wanted to do is just by force of personality, one, and force of results, two, that have allowed me and the people I've worked with to be able to survive that. What I'm work so, and what that really means is you, it's great to treat people well. I often like to, I like to tell people that, you know, your people are your priority, bar none. Good work, high quality work will be the side effect of you treating your people well. It just, it will happen if you, if you create the vision and, and you're talking about that and the, the mission and your values, it will happen, but that's not the focus. But you also have to make sure it happens because when you show up in some exec meeting or you're talking to your boss and you're like, hey, this person did this great thing and this person did that great thing and they're like, yeah, you're 60% under forecast and there's nothing showing that you're gonna come out of there. Okay, maybe they're, they're gonna start micromanaging you down a little bit or something. So you have to be able to still deliver Um, but, but what, gosh, as I encourage this, I, I I am reminded again, that privilege plays a huge role here, but as the leader, you have to be able to stand up and say, the line is here and we will go no further. This is how we're going to treat people. This is how it's going to happen in my current role. I'm really trying to flip that now and I'm trying to influence it up and out. I'm trying to be more aggressive with with my uh, with my uh, leadership style, I think more people need to adopt it. So I'm working specifically to push it out into our organization. But I would say for 99% of the people working out there, start with you. Start with you and your span of control. Even if you have eight direct reports in an organization of 200, you know, or whatever, and you're only responsible for eight, focus on those eight. Do that, and uh, it'll be hard. And you'll your peers won't like you. I mean, like 
weird stuff will happen. I promise you, but the people you're working with and the results out of it, they'll speak for themselves. So Jeff, that's a lot of like business talk, which is very important for a lot of folks out there, myself included. It's useful for many different things here, but I want to kind of bring it to everyday life right now. So what's something that we, meaning myself and meaning everybody that's listening or watching right now, can all do in our everyday lives to be better leaders, whether that means at a job or just a better leader in our personal lives with the people around us? Such a great question. And and I'll change it a little bit if that's okay. It's not just about being a great leader. It's about being a great person. And because I think, I mean, we can put labels on things. I want to be the best cook. I want to be the best boxer, the best leader. It's really about being the best person. I'd say human, but we're talking about Star Trek here. So fair, the fair. Very, very term itself is racist, right? Don't be a spacist, but, Jeff. Right. But I think, but I think it really is just kind of what I've been saying here. And it's understanding that every single person, every person matters, belongs, and has value and deserves dignity. You might disagree with the choices they make, with the way they were born, whatever. That's a you thing, not a them thing, right? And so we we need to respect them and treat them with the dignity they deserve. This translates daily into interactions at work. But just think about everything that we do in our lives. Think about the way you talk to your kids. Think about the way you talk to your neighbors. Think about what you yell at your phone when you're reading the news or whatever social media doom scroll thing that you you go into. That's a person on the other side. And every single person, every single one, I don't care if they're agreeing with you, disagreeing with you, if they're red, if they're blue, if they fly this flag or fly that flag, they're a person, a human, and they matter. Star Trek happened. Star Trek happened because we went through hell, right? The eugenics wars, the Bell Riots, World War III, and then the Vulcans showed up and we came together. It didn't matter anymore if you were from here, from there, or if you loved this person or loved that person. None of that stuff mattered anymore because we were part of something bigger. We're already part of something bigger. And it's not just your company you work for. It's not just your family. It is your local community, your larger community, and the global community. I mean, this is such a like rah, rah, love people kind of a thing. But Matthew, that, I mean, it's, you want to be a good manager? Care about the people you work with. You want to be a good person? Care about the people you live around. It's, it's that simple. Yeah, here we are. Very true. Good answer. Uh, Jeff, you are a super busy dude also, we should mention, because besides working full-time and besides the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast, you've got another podcast that you do. So talk to us about that one. That one here is a little bit more uh, less in the business area, more in just sci-fi good times. Yeah, I, I, I love this other podcast. It's called Babylon 5 for the First Time, not a Star Trek podcast. Very important to note that. It is. Also, it helps with search engine optimization quite a bit. Absolutely on, does, uh, you cheater. You sneaky, sneak you. <laughs> uh-huh. It's almost like I know what I'm doing here. In fact, on Good Pods, we uh, currently are the number one rated Star Trek podcast, and we don't even <laughs> talk about Star Trek. <laughs> this is my slow clap for you. You earned that. <laughs> but no, so yeah, a couple, about a year ago, Babylon 5, uh, if you're not familiar, was a a short five season long TV show in the mid nineties, a sci-fi show. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski wrote it and put it all together. Uh, for people who, who know of it, it is a 
deeply beloved series for people like me a year ago, barely knew it existed. And uh, it popped up on uh, HBO Max, or I guess what we're now calling Max. And uh, I, I like having background noise when I work, music, TV, some sort of background. And so I'm like, oh, I'll watch Babylon 5. Here it is. And I tweeted that out, and I had my first viral tweet ever. Like tens of thousands of interactions, like huge. And I was like, oh my gosh, there might be something to this. So I reached out to a handful of people that I knew within the Trek podcasting community. And I was like, Hey, have you ever seen Babylon five before? And most people were like, yeah, yeah. And then finally I found someone who didn't as Brent Allen, who is the host of beam me up a star Trek podcast. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I've never watched it before. And I'd had the opportunity to guest on his show a couple of times. So we knew each other a little bit and we're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So we literally are watching Babylon five for the first time week to week unspoiled. Um, we have an incredible community that has surrounded us. They protect us from spoilers out there, which is saying a lot for an almost 30 year old show. But we, um, it's not just a standard like watch podcast. One of the things Brent and I talked about when we put the show out there is we didn't, the world, the world is full. There's already like a boatload of Babylon five. Re oh, we watched the episode. And here's what we think. Okay. What we, what separates us, what makes us different from the other podcasters out there is that we're Star Trek podcasters. And if you're a Star Trek podcaster, you are trained uniquely to watch a show and start ripping it apart and digging out those messages, those meanings that are in there. For me, they're leadership lessons. For other people, they might be societal, for you know, all kinds of, Star Trek is full of so many things. And so we decided to lay that lens on top of Babylon 5. Now we call it the Star Trek-like messages. We're not comparing Babylon 5 to Star Trek. They are entirely different things, but we look at it, we look for the, the messages that are, that are held within it. It's a very different beast than Star Trek, but it has a lot of great messaging in it. And we're currently about midway through the third season. And there's a, this overarching theme around like, uh, accountability, responsibility, and forgiveness. Oh, it's so powerful. But yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun. Very different. It's just two dudes talking about, you know, a 30 year old sci-fi show, but it is, it is a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I should warn you too. I'm actually in that group of folks who have not seen Babylon five. And I know that makes my fans quite irate when I say that, but I, I was not really into the sci-fi, I guess when it was first airing, uh, I was really very much in the end of my star Trek time for a bit for, for many years, actually. So I've never seen it. Uh, one of these days I'll get to it. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I it's a really good it. show. I just, yeah. I got to get into it. That's the problem. Brent was similar. He wasn't, he hadn't started watching sci-fi yet. He came to sci-fi through Voyager. So late nineties, Babylon five was already, you know, peeling off and gone, but he wasn't into, it's a, you know, a little, not, not quite mainstream sci-fi thing for me, having grown up as a cradle star Trek fan, I watched one or two episodes and I was like, what is this cheap knockoff star Trek? I don't have time for this. The CG. Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, it gets better. I'll tell you that it gets better. I've heard, I've heard that. Yeah. But there are people like in our community who are like, uh, you know, this was the first, first show to ever put it on TV. I'm like, yeah, they did it too soon. It is awful. It's so bad, but the makeup so good. The acting spotty, but some of it great. Uh, Bruce Boxleitner, who played Tron in Tron, joins the series at some point, and he brings his A game. It is so so good, but uh, like all mid nineties or nineties ish sci fi, first season's a little rough, a little bit. But once it starts moving, it moves 
fast. Like I, I'm really glad that we dove into this and, and started watching it, but the podcast is fun. You know, we were talking earlier about, um, kind of having that personal touch to things. It's easier to do when you have two people having a conversation, but we put our unedited, like just, we record and we just immediately throw the video up. Like we do no editing to it whatsoever. Uh, and, and that's, uh, I'm amazed people watch that. <laughs> like we have long, like we'll ask someone each other a question. Here's a podcast secret for people. If you ask someone a question and they have to think about it, just be quiet, be silent. Cause if you try to, cause then when you go edit it, you can use this really cool to, tool called truncate silence or remove silence and whoop, just brings it together. But if you feel the need to fill it you're, So there are times where like, we'll ask each other a question and there's like 30 seconds of just us being like, Hmm, you know, quietly, just nothing. Then we go in or we say things wrong, but vibrant YouTube community. But I do edit the audio that goes up. We have a lot of us and ums as we're talking. I take, I'd say 90% of them out, but I leave 10% of them in because that's how people talk, you know? Me, it's the other way around, it. actually. I tend to leave in. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I do. For the most part, it depends. If someone, yeah, because I've had some guests who are very um and uh, heavy to the point where, you know, for, I don't want to say who because I don't want to put anybody on the spot and make them feel bad, but there's been a few guests I've had where I had to heavily chop because those uhs and ums, but I usually tend to leave me just because that's how folks talk you yeah, know it's so. natural yeah. yeah exactly it's nothing to be ashamed of just as it, it is what it is yeah but yeah if if you're a fan of babylon 5 check it out like it's fun it's it it, it will be infuriating because we <laughs> we're watching one episode at a time and you're like there's a, there's an epic episode in the second season uh called the geometry of shadows that we kind of hated um but we've learned it like seeds all this stuff that's happening now in the third, like late second season into the third season. It's like, oh, it's actually pretty brilliant. But wow, people were furious, furious that we hated it. So if you love it, check it out. It'll be fun to watch. A lot of people are coming to Babylon 5. There's a new animated movie coming out at the end of the summer here in 2023. So there's a resurgence of interest in it. Um, what better way than joining two other yahoos watching it for the first time? And for those gay who's out there who want to check out your Babylon 5 show and your Star Trek show one more time, what are they and how can folks find them? Well, you can find the Babylon 5 for the first time podcast at Babylon5first.com. That's the number five and the word first.com. And then I'm super proud of my URL for the Starfleet Leadership Academy. It is starfleetleadership.academy. Catch it there. You can. I've got links to the YouTube, all the podcatchers, wherever is most convenient for you to listen. But if you catch it on the website, you will have up-to-date information and links all the time. Well, thank you, Jeff, so much today for talking to us through what your show is and really kind of giving us the ins and outs of it, a little bit of a sneak preview of what you typically do on every episode of Starfleet Leadership Academy because it is such a unique kind of show out there. And like you said, this is not me uh, being insulting or not trying to be insulting to any other podcasters out there, but there are a lot of shows that are just review shows. And that's not my thing. I'm just not personally into those as much. So it's really exciting to see Star Trek conversed in a different way. And Starfleet Leadership Academy accomplishes that and you get to learn stuff in the process of doing it. Not just like, you know, or as my show, it's mostly behind the scenes stuff and like kind of like the inner workings of things. Yours is like a bigger picture of business and the granular nitty gritty of management and leadership within that. So it serves such a really cool thing. And I think it's something everybody should just check out because of, uh, well, the fact is it's, it's useful in every element of your life. So Definitely recommend you guys check that show out. So again, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Talk about your show, the craft of being a podcaster, and uh, just all this great info. So as you normally say on your show, uh, ex-asterisk scientia. Love it. Thank you, Matthew. 
That's it for this week's show. Thanks again for checking out Trek Untold. If you aren't already, please follow Trek Untold on social media, where you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, among others, all at Trek Untold. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube for the video versions of this show at youtube.com slash at Trek Untold. And subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening to the audio version on. We always appreciate likes, shares, comments, thumbs up, ratings, and reviews, and whatever you can do to help spread the word about this podcast and inform other Trekkies about why they need to check this show out. If you're able to financially support this show, visit patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn about the different ways you can contribute to keeping this show going full speed ahead. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.